Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Peter, James, and John were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. These three out of the twelve were the only ones with Jesus up on that mountain to behold the glorious vision. But then Moses and Elijah were both standing there, talking with Jesus in the flesh. They saw the brightness and the change of Jesus' clothes, bright as as the sun itself. They heard the majestic voice of the Father from heaven speaking to them as the cloud enveloped them, saying, This is my Son. Listen to him. Well, surely these three among the twelve were chosen to to experience such a wonderful and glorious event. You can appreciate then the fact that these three might have been just a little bit puffed up at being the three that were chosen. After all, the other nine weren't. They stayed down in the valley below. But these three, they were special. They were more loved, more important than the others. Or perhaps so they thought. Even if they didn't intentionally rub it in the face of the others, I mean, everyone knew that there was a distinction between the disciples. And that's what led them to ask the question that they did. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus, would you tell us plainly, out of all of us here, who's the greatest? Because it kind of seems like Peter, James, and John are the top three, but we want to hear it from you. Who's the greatest? (laughs) Who is the greatest? You know, the world defines greatness by all sorts of metrics. Who's the most popular? Who has the most followers or the most subscribers on social media? Who has the best sports record with the most points and the most wins? Who has the biggest house or the fattest bank account? Who has the most influence on others in the political realm? Who gets the highest honor? Who is the greatest? But see, this isn't the world that the disciples are talking about. This is greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Now, surely the kingdom of heaven must take its cues and set its standards according to the way that the world works, right? Well, no. It's quite the opposite, actually. The way that Jesus defines greatness is not based on the metrics of social status, of hard work or reputation. Greatness is not gained by competition or by comparison with others or by who has the most material possessions. No, when Jesus talks about greatness in the kingdom of heaven, he defines it by who has the greatest need the greatest need physically, spiritually, emotionally. The one who has the greatest need is the one who is greatest in God's eyes. To demonstrate this, Jesus sets before the disciples 
a little child of all people. Not bold, brash Peter, not James or John, the so-called sons of thunders, but for the sake of giving this child a name, Jesus sets before them tiny Tim, right? This child, or, or, or tiny Tim, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because he can do nothing on his own. He is in need of receiving physical care. He is in need of protection. He is in need of being fed. He is in need of being instructed, nurtured, and disciplined. And the thing is, he knows it. There's no pride in him. There's no boasting in his own social, in his own status, his own strength, or his own power. He needs all that his parents provide for him. And therefore, as the one who has the greatest need, he is the greatest in the kingdom, for he is valued by Christ Jesus, the King. Now, this should give us pause. Time to stop and reflect on how you and I have been defining greatness. Are we asking about greatness as defined by the world, seeking after that, or are we willing to accept being humbled to see our own need from God? Are we so full of pride concerning how well off we are and how well we do and how well we are thought of? Or are we seeing ourselves rightly as ones who are in need of all that the Lord provides for our spiritual, our physical, and our emotional needs? I pray that you would see yourself as one in need from the Lord, a chief of sinners, as St. Paul puts it. For this is the attitude of all disciples that, of, of Jesus, how we, we should, uh, the attitude that we should have. You know, though, brothers and sisters in Christ, what follows in the text oftentimes is, is taken and read in, in little chunks, divided neatly by those bold headings in our modern Bibles. Things like how to deal with sin, the parable of the lost sheep, if your brother sins against you, or perhaps even how to deal with church or how to do church discipline. See, this isn't how the first disciples heard these words of Jesus, and I dare say that we should also not break them down into these small little subheadings, but take them as part of the whole narrative whereby Jesus teaches his disciples then and now about the care of the greatest. See, Jesus comes to the needy so much that he says that whoever receives one of these little ones receives me. A disciple's identity is found in Christ Jesus. Jesus so identifies with sinners that he bears all of their need, he carries all of their guilt, and he covers all of their shame. Jesus sees us sinners in our need, and he comes to meet each and every one of them. And nowhere is this more clear than at the cross, where Jesus sees our need for forgiveness of sin, and he procures it with his own blood. Now that's true for you and for me, and it's true for others as well. So Jesus tells the disciples, 
that they are not to be the cause of stumbling or the source of sin for others. And I believe that in this context, Jesus is speaking about the temptation toward prideful attitudes towards other believers, other disciples. For Peter, for James and John, the warning is that they should not see themselves more important than the other nine. For the twelve, that they should not see themselves as more important than all the other people around them. For us, that we don't see our positions in life as something that excludes us from caring for others because we are just too important for that. As you have been cared for, as you have been called by name, as ones redeemed by Christ the crucified, so too are you now called to care for and esteem those whom you may be tempted to overlook. If your eye causes you to sin, Jesus said, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Jesus is not here talking about some abstract concept of sin or just sin kind of in general. Jesus is telling his disciples that if your eye is causing you to look down on your brother or your sister in Christ, pluck it out. If your hand is not ready to serve or help your fellow disciple, cut it off. If you are so tempted to think of yourself so highly above these little ones, remember that Christ Jesus dwells in them. And sinning against your neighbor is sinning against Christ who dwells in your neighbor. And Jesus takes sin seriously. Dare say disciples are called to do more than pluck out or cut off. They are called to die to sin daily. With contrition, with, with a heartfelt sorrow over our sin and with repentance that we might rise again in faith to Christ in newness of life whereby we seek to honor our brothers and sisters in Christ and to serve them in genuine love. One such way the disciples of Jesus honors and, uh, honor and serve one another is in the way that we seek after those who quietly stray from the flock. Now, you've heard the parable. The shepherd has a hundred sheep, one slips away, and now is in dire need. For apart from the shepherd, the sheep cannot hear his voice. Apart from the shepherd, they cannot be led to pasture, to be fed. Apart from the shepherd, they are in greater danger of attack. And so the good shepherd leaves the 99 and he seeks out the one. And when it is brought back to the flock, there is rejoicing, not just by the shepherd, but by the whole flock. Now you and I, we are called to see ourselves as the one who was astray. We are invited to see ourselves as the one for whom Jesus has come to seek out and to save. For you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, are valuable to him. And he has given all to find you and to bring you into his flock. 
Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for you so that you might be his sheep. And now as one of his flock, he calls you to follow him and seeking out and finding others. Now, later in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus includes all nations. Go into all nations, right? But here, Jesus is specifically speaking of fellow sheep who have wandered. Now, truly, God has given this responsibility to pastors who serve as under-shepherds, or as we heard in Ezekiel, to be in a watchman. He calls elders gives them this responsibility and elders in any of our given congregations. They are to seek those who are straying, I mean, without question. That's their job. That's their calling. But it is also the responsibility of the under-shepherd and the elders to encourage and to equip the saints for works of service. And one area of service held by us all is the task of seeking those who have wandered. None of us can stand before God and ask, well, am I my brother's keeper? We all know the answer to that, don't we? We are our brother's keepers. This morning, I want to invite you to just look around the sanctuary and note who is not here. And if you're uncomfortable with that, when you're going to your mailbox, Look around and see how many mailboxes are stuffed full of papers where people have not come to take those things out. And then here's the thing. Take a name in your mind and pray for them. Call them. Let them know that they are loved. Let them know that they are cared for. Remind them how Christ Jesus came and sought you out in your need and explain to them perhaps that now you are seeking out the needs of my brothers and sisters in Christ. For your brother or sister in Christ who has silently slipped out of the flock is one who is in need perhaps of rescue or at least attention, of care, thought therefore they are the greatest in the kingdom the last couple of verses that we read in Matthew chapter 18 has often been used as the model for church discipline this is the steps you are to take if, uh, if someone is uh, an unrepentant sinner there's truth to that but but in the context, we should see this as part of the care for the greatest. If a brother sins against you, go to that brother. If he listens, great, rejoice. You have found a sheep, right? You have gained a brother. If not, here's the thing, don't stop there. Find another brother or sister in Christ and seek out the one who has sinned. And if they repent great but if not don't stop there involve the whole community and if they are brought back then into the fold fantastic if they, they have been restored and if not 
Well, they are acting as, as a Gentile, a tax collector. But here's the thing. Don't stop there. Pray for them. Continue to seek after them. See, Jesus didn't come to save those who thought that they were without sin. He came for those who felt their need for a Savior, who were burdened. Pray for them whenever you are together with other disciples, that they too would feel their need for a Savior. And then continue to seek them out. Walk with them. These passages are not about punitive discipline, brothers and sisters in Christ. They are about caring for the greatest so that they might be restored. In these passages, Jesus is redefining greatness. He's calling us to see things the way that he sees things. He's calling us to value what he values. Jesus is calling us to see our own need to set aside our own pride and to, be let it, to let it be nailed with him to the cross. And then having it put to death again to rise with Jesus in our baptismal union to, <coughs> to follow him and actually caring for the greatest. And may the Lord grant us his spirit so that we would follow him in seeking out the lost. That there might be much rejoicing in our midst and before the throne of the king over even one who is restored. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be our brother's keeper and to care for those among us in their spiritual, physical, and emotional needs. Amen. Now may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which passes all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, the King who comes to seek to save. Amen.